Hello and all aboard another edition of the We Are Rail Fans podcast. The series for rail fans by rail fans. I'm Sam and thanks for joining me today as we travel through another area of the rail hobby from around the world. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, and we've got over 10 of them now, they're all available for free wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up to date with all the news from the train world, visit wearerailfans.com or find us on Facebook at We Are Rail Fans. If you send us a comment about some of the things that you find fascinating about trains, you never know, you might hear it on a future episode. My guest today is the presenter of the TV series Secrets of the London Underground on UK TV. She's also an actress, historian and author, and she works for the London Transport Museum as their engagement manager and created their Hidden London Tours. Oh, and she's a marathon runner as well. However, does she find the time? <laughs> Cindy Holloway, welcome to the We Are Rail Fans podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Anyone who saw our Rail Fan Fest in April will remember City from the excellent presentation about the London Transport Museum's Hidden London Tours, which, as I mentioned, you created. How did you become involved with the Transport Museum and have you always been interested in rail history? Oh, it's a good question. You know what? I'm from Iceland originally, and those uh, savvy enough to know about Iceland will know that Iceland has no trains whatsoever. So I actually did not grow up with any type of rail travel. And I actually remember the first time I actually went on a train, which was, I think, when I was about six or seven and I was in Denmark and I found it to be the most exciting thing ever. But I became a um, kind of fan of public transport when I moved to London in 2010. I always found it super exciting. There's something like almost like an adult roller coaster ride, I always say. It's okay. like, it's you know, because you get to kind of go on this thing that moves and takes you to another place. And I joined the London Transport Museum in 2015, but I joined them not in the Hidden London division at, at first. I joined them as one of their school liaison officers. What's that entail? So the London Transport Museum actually has a whole division of brilliant educators that that leave the museum and go out into the world, into primary schools, and teach year uh, six children how to be on public transport before they get their zip cards, before they start traveling on, on the tube and on the buses and stuff by themselves. So I did that for a bit before I joined the newly formed program called Hidden London back in 2015. So I've always had like a love for rail transport but it was a really kind of yeah it, it sort of happened by surprise that I am in the place that I am today so it's really interesting how it yeah it just came came to be I guess. So for those outside the UK tell us a little bit about the uh, the London Transport Museum what sort of thing does it have how did it get started if you know I mean it's uh, I, I don't expect you to be a font of all knowledge with regard to the museum but what, what should uh, international travellers, if you're, they're visiting London, why would they come visit? Because, of course, it's one of the best museums you can visit in London. Good answer. So the London Transport Museum uh, started as a concept in sort of the early 70s. And it's basically a way of preserving London's transport history. Now, the reason why that's important is it's the oldest 
system in the world, at least, you know, the underground system is the oldest in the world. It's the first underground system that was ever created in the world. The horse buses or the omnibuses that were introduced in London in 1829 weren't the first in the world, but they were very damn close. Paris had a slight a slight advantage on us there. So it's it's a way of preserving London's transport history, which not only kind of tracks the innovation of engineering and technology, but also how this kind of lifeline and this kind of this network has been influenced by social history throughout the late 19th and 20th century. And really, I always say to people, you know, the London Transport Museum does have buses and trains and all types of memorabilia, but it's first and foremost a brilliant social history museum because this network that we have and take for granted today has actually you know, really influenced life since its inception. So it's a really cool museum. We have buses, we have trains, we have all types of transport memorabilia, but we also have fantastic stories uh, of humans throughout this this time period that we've been lucky enough to have public transport. And it's in Covent Garden. It's in the old flower market of the Covent Garden market. And uh, it's just a fantastic day out. And it's also, we're a little, we're a small museum, you know, you can go through it in about an hour and a half, or an hour if you're in a hurry. So it's one of those things that I would encourage all our visitors to London to come and see us. Good pitch. Uh, so, so <laughs> what's the what are the most popular exhibits that you have? So, that, where do where do people tend to dwell and go uh, and take their time? It's mm, a good question. I mean, we have a Victorian gallery upstairs, which has some of our first vehicles. So, we have the first horse bus, the first double decker horse bus, and the first um, double decker horse tram which was introduced in 1861. Then we have our subsurface gallery, which uh, is the Metropolitan Line and the Circle, Hammersmith and City and District Line, which kind of tells that story. And then we have our deeper kind of gallery and then the buses. I would actually say probably people linger around the Metropolitan Line the most. I guess it's maybe the most foreign concept because, of course, the Metropolitan Line was built... Uh, using steam locomotives. So, you know, there's a huge steam locomotive on a second floor in a museum. I think people kind of stop around that. So are you particularly drawn to uh, to underground trains or uh, or do the above-ground variant appeal more? If you had to choose between one or the other, which way would you go? I would go underground. All the way, of course. Why? I think there's something so kind of mysterious and alluring about underground travel. I mean, I guess there's that that concept of like the traveling through the rabbit warren kind of thing that's exciting about it. But I also think, you know, you're in a train, especially if you get on the underground whilst uh, above ground, which of course, you know, more than 50% of the underground in London is actually above ground, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, but when you go from being above ground into a tunnel and then you're underneath the city. There's something so mesmerising to me about that. So I would say underground trains always, as opposed to the wonderful overground trains, which I also, of course, love. That's okay. No, no, you're yeah. allowed to have a preference. That's that's perfectly <laughs> fine. Have you yeah. had the opportunity to, to, uh, to ride underground trains in other parts of the world? 
I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been very lucky to travel all over the world. Been obviously around Europe. And I used to live in Argentina, so I've been at the metro in Buenos Aires. And even before 2013, which may- means that they actually still had a wooden carriage on some of their, their their underground trains there, which was very exciting. My probably favorite sort of bit of underground travel was in Sydney in Australia because they have double-decker underground trains, which I remember seeing and finding extremely exciting mm. at the time. But yeah, I've been lucky enough to kind of travel around the world. And I particularly like the New York subway because I find that network to correlate interestingly with our own here in London. And my dream is to go to Moscow to explore the Moscow Metro because that whole network is like a work of art to me. And some of the station architecture they've got going on there is amazing. I know. I mean, they look like ballrooms from, you know, late 19th century. Like, they're incredible. I mean, uh, so my dream is to go to the Moscow Metro. And even I would love to go to the uh, Budapest Metro as well, because that's one of the deepest networks in the world. So I've still got plenty in me to come and, and, and kind of travel around and see more underground networks in the world. You have an underground bucket list still to <laughs> yes, achieve. Yes, Absolutely. I feel like everyone should have one. So you created and are responsible for the Hidden London tour. What does that actually entail? So Hidden London takes people behind the scenes of TFL's kind of underground network and takes people into disused and closed stations on the modern day London underground network. So when people are traveling through the the city, they sometimes might see, you know, a closed station or closed doors on the underground and might wonder, you know, what's behind that door or why is that station there? Hidden London answers that by taking you through that door and into those closed parts that you might always wonder about. So we actually have eight different sites around London that we take people into on tours led by brilliant guides and you get to see, you know, the secret behind the modern underground network. So we started in 2015 with one tour and now we have eight. In total, we've actually had 10 different sites, but a few of them we uh, we, ha- we can't run one of them uh, anymore and the other one we kind of only do occasionally. So it's really grown exponentially from that one tour because there's just so much to see and people have really no idea what, what lies beyond a simple door or a grill on the underground. And that's the thrill of actually going and visiting these places. So what's the what's the highlight? What's your what's your personal favorite then of all the different sites that you've got? Which one really stands out as this is not what you were expecting? Oh you can't ask me that, Sam. All right, all right. Oh. Well, well, just pick what one. Just one <laughs> no. a, 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 a good one. Let's 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 know what a good one is. They're all incredible. Obviously, I mean, I would say that, of course, but I genuinely think that I don't. I don't just say that because it's my job. I genuinely think each and every one of them has something extraordinary about them. Personal favorites of mine, I would say Charing Cross is a brilliant one, um, just because it's more of a modern station 
you know, so the, the disused parts of Charing Cross Station are the old Jubilee Line platforms that closed in 1999. So they're actually not that far in people's memories, but it's really interesting to see how that happened, you know, and, and to see pretty much modern platforms completely empty. You know, you walk through one door and down some escalators and you're in a full concourse that's basically empty, which I think is kind of startling to people. So Charing Cross is brilliant. Um, one of my big favourites is probably always going to be Down Street, which is a, a tube station uh, between Hyde Park Corner and Green Park that closed in 1932 on the Piccadilly line, but uh, was converted into a secret underground facility for the Railway Executive Committee during the Second World War. And all of those rooms, all of the, you know, the, the, the telephone exchange, everything is still there in place. So you're standing on what used to be a platform, but now it's kind of like a, a weirdly kind of secluded office and the Piccadilly line rushes past you because, you know, the only thing separating you from the running of the Piccadilly line is a double skin brick wall. So I'd say Downstreet is one of those places that you imagine maybe there would be, but there actually is, you know, it's it's very James Bondy. So I'd say um, Downstreet's one of my favourites, but of course, all of them are amazing. Of course, of course, all of them. And, I, I, and if you go to somewhere like Downstreet, does it feel like it's you've just uncovered uh, a literal kind of hidden worlds, you know, complete with dust and cobwebs? Or have you kind of spruced it up to turn it into a a, a recreation of, of how it was maybe when it was operational? Oh, no. We, we have left it grimy for everyone to discover. So, I mean, this is the thing. If we had tried to spruce it up, it would probably take us several years. I mean, this place has been disused since 1948. And, you know, just imagine how much dust has gathered in some of the places since then. So the the joy of exploring these places, we always say, is to search for the witness marks, the, the historical marks that are left in place, rather than recreating what used to be there. So it's, it's more about being kind of almost you know, taking a group of people around and letting everyone have a, a go of being an industrial archaeologist, so to speak, and discovering the place for themselves. I mean, we give our our customers torches so they can, you know, see where they're going because we don't actually like to, you know, fully lighten the place up because that's, you know, it's, it's more exciting if everyone's kind of looking around. Yes, it's a little bit grimy, but a lot of awesome so how do you how do you go about finding new sites then? I mean, presumably you have a a list of that would be an interesting one to go uh, maybe open up to the public in a in a tour sense. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you identify what would make for a good site? Hmm. There's a couple of criteria that I always follow. I have a list or sort of like a short list that I always work towards. Um, the most important thing to me is always what's the story. Because it could become very monotonous if you're always talking about the same thing. Yes, you can take people into disused places and there are a certain amount of people that would love it no matter what. But I always think, you know, you have to be presenting another side of that another tour doesn't do better. So for me, that's always a big criteria. You know, why why here and not there? Second of all, you know, how much 
disuse space is there exactly. So for example, two tours that we started back in 2019 and 2020 were Piccadilly Circus and Moorgate. And Piccadilly Circus was one that we really kind of didn't know there was much even there, but we only went there because we were doing, we, we wrote the, the Hidden London book and we were doing photography for that book. And as kind of due diligence for that book, we went to about 40 different stations around London to photograph them and found there to be this incredible warren of Edwardian tunnels at Piccadilly Circus that told a totally different story of the underground network that, that we had previously done. And same with Moorgate. You know, Moorgate has these layers of history dating back to 1865 that, you know, you really just kind of see how the underground network has evolved in one single station. So that drew me to that particular site. Plus, of course, it has amazingly cool disused space. So it's always, yeah, the story is always at first and foremost for me because if you don't have that, then the tour you know, it would always attract a certain amount of people, but you have to have something that you're absolutely burning to tell people, you know, there has to be a story behind it. So I have a list, but, you know, we're, we're working slowly to, to, to sort of get through it. And then, of course, the last thing that I always think of is, is it safe? Of course. Um, the, the la- because- safety is your last concern. No, well, I mean, of course, it's it's obviously the first one, but it's, you know... <laughs> This story is amazing. It has some disused space. And then you go, yeah, but you can never bring people into that, you know, because of of certain things, you know, like that's the reason, for example, we do virtual tours of certain sites because there are some sites on the underground that have incredible stories and look amazing, you know, have amazing spaces, but we can never safely bring people into them because it just, it, it would never be viable. The amount of work we would have to do to try and bring a group of five, you know, people into that, it would just negate the whole thing. So we have virtual tours, therefore, of places that have a great story, look amazing, but you can't bring people into that, unfortunately. You know, places like Brompton Road, King William Street, York Road, you know, these are sites that really deserve to have their story told, but we can't bring people there in the physical form. So the third is safety, but of course, safety is always first and foremost. Of course, of course. (laughs) So presumably you have a a kind of a master list of of disused stations or or underground areas that you're already aware of. Are there any that you've just been refused access to? Uh, don't think so. There's nothing too secret no. that uh, that you haven't been given uh, the opportunity to peruse. No, n- not n- nothing that comes to mind. There's only one um, site that it's only places that aren't explicitly owned by Transport for London that you have to get different um, right. access levels to. But not not that. No, I've not been denied access anywhere i think um but you know the underground especially the the central london underground is all from 1890 up until 1907 so it's all that time period so part of the northern line is from 1890 uh the central line opened in 1900 the bakerloo piccadilly uh, the bakerloo and piccadilly line opened in 1906 and the charing cross branch of the northern line opened in 1907 
And so the only available technology at that time to bring people from the well ground level to the platforms below was via lifts. But if you travel on the modern day underground network, you know that almost all of those stations have escalators. Now, a lift shaft is vertical, whereas an escalator comes in at an angle. So it means that almost all of those central London stations have been rebuilt at one time or another, which normally means that there is a lift shaft and often a corridor and all of these things connected to those old lift shafts that you can go and explore. And that's something that is incredible and people don't realize. So there's a, there is a big list of disused space, whereas, you know, it, it kind of means, well, what do you constitute as a station? You know, is it a part of the station that's disused and that means that it's a disused station? Or does it have to be a whole actual station like Aldwych or Down Street or Brompton right. Road that's disused. So it, it, you know, it depends on how you define the the concept. For me, I always think it's a little bit of, a, you know, if there is some historical remains of a station hidden behind a door or a grill, to me that's a disused station because you're getting to see the real thing behind, you know, our modern facades. So you mentioned your your virtual tours, and obviously during the the lockdown period of the pandemic, uh, you switched mm-hmm. to running your tours in a in a virtual fashion. How did that work? Well, it was us trying to again, really wanting to connect with our customers, our audiences, and just you know being able to produce something you know to, to prevent us going all a little bit bonkers. And this idea arose that. You know, we, we've been lucky enough to, we wrote a book that came out in 2019. And from writing that book, we discovered so many of these places. And there was always a desire of ours to present these places to the public, but we just didn't know how to do it. Because again, you, you, you couldn't feasibly bring people into them. And, you know, we'd done a good job in terms of you know, we wrote a book about it and took some photographs, but just, it's not quite the same, is it? Because you can't, you're not watching it with your own eyes. You know, there's not quite the same kind of experiential um, sort of feeling about it. So when the lockdown hit and we were talking about, okay, what can we do? The, the, The idea of doing a virtual tour kind of came about because we thought, Okay, so, you know, all these places that we know about and we've, you know, done research of and whatnot, what if we go and film them and then make a virtual tour around them and actually finally bring people into these spaces, you know, that they've been asking us to go to for all this time and we've, you know, always been like, we want to, but we can't, sorry. You know, so it was um, it was really exciting because it was, yeah, bringing people finally into places that they've been asking us for years to take them into um, through this brilliant medium of, of the internet. And so we had people from all over the world join us during the COVID lockdown. You know, we had people on a single call, we would have people from New Zealand and Singapore and Leeds and Chicago. And, you know, some of these people are up very early, but, you know, and um, it was just an, an amazing way to still connect with people and show them something that they hadn't seen from us before. And I think 
that's something we're going to continue even now you know that lockdown re- restrictions and everything have you know eased in in the UK at least we're still going to keep doing those virtual tours because we love to be able to connect with people that can't maybe come to Britain at this moment or you know are in another part of the world and still want to explore some of those amazing places um so we're it's it's become kind of a staple for us now we're we're, we're going to keep on doing them but it was a really fun thing to to create Now, you present the Secrets of London Underground TV series alongside historian Tim Dunn. Tell us a little bit more about that series and and what did you get to explore? I mean, I always, since I started doing this job and since I started Hidden London, I knew that if we had the chance to show people these spaces, you know, just to explain to people what this was, it would always attract an audience because I think all of us want to know about secrets. All of us want to go into places we're not supposed to go into. I mean, it turns everyone into a big kid, right? Because you're getting to go somewhere you're not supposed to. And everyone look, everyone's looking at you whilst you, you, you suddenly have the key to a door and nobody else does. So I, I always knew that if we had the chance, people would be hopefully fascinated by it. And um, yeah, so the series came out this summer. It's a six-part documentary, uh, so six uh, episodes, and we went into two, sometimes three, disused stations in each episode and explored them. So um, Tim, my friend Tim, he has a brilliant show called The Architectures the Railways Built, and I was one of his first guests on his first season back in 2019. And we actually explored Down Street. And since, and then we did that. And I was chatting with the executive producer a few months after that. And I was sort of going, maybe we should look into doing something more of, you know, stations and stuff. And he was always like, I think it's a good idea. You and Tim work, you know, you guys are such good friends and you work so well together. Maybe we should look into that. And then it was always, we were just kind of working at it in the background we finally got the go-ahead to actually film it in the end of last year. We filmed it all throughout lockdown this year, so February, March and April, which was challenging because, of course, we had to make sure that we were doing all the COVID regulations yeah. but also making it look good on camera, um, which sounds simple but actually takes a lot of, like a whole team of people to make it all work. And um, yeah, and then it came out this summer. So we have six episodes. Um, Each one of them is named after the main station that we visit. Um, But we also go to sort of a secondary location. And then we get um, experts on the different subjects that we're talking about to kind of explain to us, you know, certain facets of, of the sites and, you know, how the underground works. And, you know, we get actual brilliant engineers and people that know far more than me or Tim. It was a really amazing experience to film and it's been even more amazing to see how well it's been received. Everyone can be interested in the subject. It, it, it's a, a fundamental part of our day-to-day lives. 
it, it all of us we all use it it's so important to to know that you know it's it's for everyone and i feel like the series really kind of opened the eyes of a lot of people to that fact so you've been able to explore a, a large number of places that aren't open to the public are there any that you found particularly exciting or maybe even uncomfortable when you when you first kind of poked around mm, yes i would say you know what this is such a good I like how you phrased that because I know where you're getting at, but you've not explicitly said it. Um, people always ask me about sort of, do you not feel like it's creepy or it's, you know, <laughs> is it not scary? Um, most of the time, I don't feel uncomfortable in any of the disused spaces. I feel like I've probably completely gotten used to that environment now that most people might find it uncomfortable, but at this point, I'm sort of desensitized to it. There is one, however, that I will always remember first visiting, which is King William Street, which is one of our virtual tours. Um, so King William Street is a disused station on the Northern Line. It's the oldest deep tube disused station in London. Right. So it opened in 1890 and it closed in 1900. So it was only ever operational for about nine years, nine and a bit years. And it's kind of the granddaddy of disused stations in London. It's sort of like a bit legendary because it's very difficult to get into. And I first went there back in 2016 and it's an old Victorian station and, you know, been closed for all this time. Um, it only has one access point, which means that it's a very damp place. It's very humid. And because it's obviously the oldest, everything is very unlike what we get, you know, what we're used to today. You know, the tunnels are a little bit smaller. The tiles are, are very different and kind of weirdly ornate in this beautiful kind of Edwardian way. And then I just remember we walked all the way down into the running tunnels and it, it, King William Street has this crazy curve to it. Um, which ended up being the reason why it closed in the end. It has this kind of crazy curve to it. And then a real, almost like a downhill in the tunnel as it goes underneath the River Thames. And when you get there, the, the tunnel is closed. So it's, it's been blocked up by concrete. But when you go down to that part, you're actually underneath the River Thames. And in low tide, you can hear the propellers of boats going above your head Amazing. and it just is the weirdest experience because you're in this kind of Edwardian time capsule and you're under the river Thames and you know it's kind of damp and moist and you're sort of it's the only time that I was like well it's been 40 minutes shall we go guys I don't know whether we should uh <laughs> can we leave this place now so I think yeah that's the only one that I can really remember going I'm good we've I'm, I think I've seen enough. Let's let's leave. Let's leave now, please. But you're you're otherwise immune to uh, spooky dark places. I think so. I mean, I think I'm immune up until somebody turns off all the lights and I have to make my way out by torchlight uh, altogether. But right. I think any normal human being would feel a little bit creeped out if all the lights were turned off. But besides that, I think that's the only one. There's sometimes moments where you kind of go like, ooh. That's a bit weird. But 
nothing that, you know, most of our places I feel very safe in. But it is a, you know, as I say, the, the London Underground is a living museum. And if you get to go into some of these places that haven't been visited for a long time, I don't know, there's something exciting about that as well. You've mentioned a couple of times, actually, that uh, that London transport particularly mm-hmm. plays a, a massive or has played a massive part in, in mm-hmm. all of our lives. Uh, anybody who's ever been to London or lives in London, you know, it's a it's an integral part of the city. Uh, do we do enough to celebrate the, the history of, of transport that is just so impactful on, on regular people? Um, I mean, I don't know that people are aware of it. And to be fair, I wasn't until I started this line of work. You know, I I remember first moving to London being mesmerized by its efficiency and, you know, how well it operates, despite the fact that sometimes there are delays. I know, guys. But, you know, it is a really wonderful system, particularly if you travel in different parts of the world where, you know, you miss a train and you might have to wait for 15 minutes until the next one. You know, in London, we get outraged if it's more than three minutes until the next train, you know. And I think that, I think that what I always do, and it's, I'm sure all of my friends who might listen to this go, oh my God, she goes, here she goes again. Um, I think that we don't necessarily recognize the age of the system that we use on a day-to-day basis. And so I think often we get frustrated because obviously we just want to get to the place where we're going. And sometimes it helps me massively to think, well, hang on a minute, you know, this infrastructure, you know, depending on which part of the network you're in, is over a hundred years old. And none of us would be cool with any part of that network closing for even more than two days to fix it. So, you know, if you you can't, you know, people complain maybe about the central line and you go, all right, well, it's from 1900, the central part of it. Would you be cool with us closing it for two years and modernizing it? Everyone would go, no, you can't live without the central line. So it's a, it's a really delicate balance of what you can do with, um, you know, upgrading the network in the four hours of engineering at night that we have mm. as a, you know, and maintaining the the service that we do. So I think we could definitely do more kind of be more gracious towards the underground network because it really is an extraordinary public good that we have. And we also have just had, it's, you know, you can literally see the decades in different stations you know you can go to different stations and literally go well this is the 80s this is the 70s you know here we've got the 60s here's the Edwardian stuff and you know once you awaken people to that idea I feel like it really kind of brings a a level of appreciation and love for it you know it makes people really love wow you know that I get to kind of use this and it's a privilege rather than oh my god the central line's so hot (laughs) I mean, we've talked a lot about stations because obviously that's your your area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the the trains themselves have you uh, presumably you've got to experience various different eras of tube stock mm-hmm. that runs. Do any of them stand out as particularly of the era, or uh, or are uh, I don't know? Are there any that really stand out for you? Um, 
I mean, are you asking if I have a favorite tube stock? In which case, the answer is always yes. Okay. Um, All right. Fine. I, I was uh, trying to. I was being coy. I was. <laughs> I was trying to just, you know, poke around a bit and try and find, you know, what's interesting. There you go. Um, I mean, you know, people that are interested in this subject will obviously know the different tube stocks. And even though I know somewhat about the subject, I'm no by no means an expert. But my favorite tube stock will probably always be the 1938 tube stock which is this beautiful, you know, British modernist train that was designed in uh, nineteen in the 1930s and, and was kind of let out on the network in 1938. And it's just got this kind of warm, beautiful glow to it. You know, it's all beautiful wood, wooden panels. And we've got the beautiful maquette that's kind of dark red and green, and then everything's painted this lovely wood green. And it, it just has that sense of like, it's like a really cozy living room or something, right. you know, and, you know, it just has this kind of warmth to it and brilliantly designed as well. I mean, it's one of the longest running underground stock in in the underground's history. Um, so that is by far my favorite. I do have a soft spot for the standard stock, which ran before the 1938. So more of a 20s train. And then on the current network that runs today, I will say that even though it's sometimes a little bit uh, frustrating, the 1973 stock that runs on the Piccadilly line is actually one of the most kind of hard-wearing, solid trains that we've had, you know, in running for such a long time. Those are probably my my three favorites. Of course, I love, you know, we've got the S stock on the on the subsurface lines, which is brilliant because you can actually walk through the entire train and I actually live on the Hammersmith and City line so it's very ha- handy to be able to walk through the whole train but um, that's probably my answer I mean you can fall in love with any of those trains I think so uh, you started your your career I guess at the uh, at the London Transport Museum uh, helping with their, their mm-hmm. education program but it, it seems like it's now almost taken over your your life in terms of the the interest that you've got in in underground stations yeah. and stock uh have you have you become an encyclopedic knowledge base um i feel like if i said yes that would be a really odd thing to say i think there's i mean you there's no way you can know everything the subject matter is so huge that there's just no chance that you could become encyclopedic in that way um, but I've definitely done my due diligence on some of these subjects. Um, and I'm just so endlessly curious about it, you know. And I think the best part of being a historian and and a transport historian at that is that every part of history, or British history, in, in fact, influences the the understanding that you have of it, you know. Because if you even if you're studying the First World War, say, that has an impact on the decisions that are made that then involve mm. the the network or you know if you are fascinated by the edwardian period then that also has an impact so i'd say i'm always gaining more and more knowledge and at this point i would i'd be happy to announce that i have a very good grasp of London's transport history, but I'm still trying to learn as much as I can. This is all fairly remarkable stuff from someone who was born in a country (laughs) that has no trains. But I actually think, you know what, I've said this to people before, I think the fact that I'm, because I'm from Iceland, it, it often allows me to look at 
this from a fairly neutral point of view, you know, because I didn't grow up with the tube. I don't have like the memories, you know, that other people would have of like riding on the tube for the first time or using it as a kid or coming to Mm. London and all of that stuff. And so, you know, I think from a point of view, I can actually sometimes look at it from a very slightly different neutral point of view, which has helped me a lot actually throughout the years because, um, you know, people might have preconceived notions about some part of it, whereas I just don't have that. So, you know, I, I, I now appreciate that, you know, I'm very glad that I'm, you know, from Iceland and, and now I'm actually a dual citizen of Britain and Iceland. But yeah, I think sometimes being Icelandic has maybe helped me in this career in, in some small form. City, you've been absolutely fantastic to talk to today, but I'm not going to let you go just yet because we always finish our podcast off with a series of quick fire questions. Ooh, okay. So if yep. you're ready, here we go. What is your favorite train? Any any country, underground, overground, wombling free. The Eurostar. Eurostar. Okay. Mm, the 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 London to Paris train. It's my favorite. Okay. Uh, do you prefer steam, diesel, or modern era trains? Oh. I'm going to say modern because uh, as much as I love steam trains, I would say modern for the environment. Okay. Is there one train you wished you'd seen live? Mm, yeah, I would have loved to have seen the steam on the underground actually running, um, which, of course, was taken out of action early on in the in the 1900s, but I would love to have seen an actual steam train running on the underground. And do you have a favourite rail journey that you've been on? I once travelled from Trieste in Italy to Venice, and that last part of going over the lagoon into into Venice was really ex- extraordinary. But I have that, that's probably my favourite rail journey. I have a, a bucket list of journeys that I want to do. Well, that's that's the next question. Uh, the, what what comes top of the list of of journeys you'd still like to make? I mean, the top one is the Trans Siberian Railway has to be it's an absolute bucket list one for me i just you know i really want to see parts of siberia i would love to go see lake baikal and just that journey is is so iconic and i'd actually love to do that trip but also travel to moscow via train i think that'd be really fun to actually go from london just uh, a quick stop off yeah. on the underground <laughs> i like it you work in a in a museum celebrating transport's past, but we we ask all our guests, what do you think the future of train travel holds? I hope it holds um, more and more ridership because I think one of the ways we can effectively battle things like pollution um, and battle the climate crisis we're in is for all of us to use public transport more. And leave our cars at home. And I hope with more ridership becomes, you know, it's always a a cause and effect. So if more of us use public transport, then more it gets invested in, the better the connections become and the less we need to rely on individual travel. And I think in the future, I think that's going to be an absolutely pivotal way of for us to battle the climate crisis. So 
I hope it me for me for the future. I hope we get really amazing, fancy electric trains that work incredibly and that have amazing aircon and Wi-Fi and all this stuff. So everyone feels like it's a thousand times better to get the train anywhere than to ride, you know, to drive your car or something like that. So that's my hope for the future. So where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you and the London Transport Museum? So um, if you want me individually, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. So it's just at City Holloway on both of those. And if you want to find a little bit more about the museum, we have got, of course, a website. So just Google London Transport Museum or go to ltmuseum.co.uk. They've also got a Twitter handle and an Instagram. So LT Museum again. And, uh, you know, keep checking in with us because we're always doing something new and, um, and, you know, updating people. And, and in particular, if you want to say get tickets for Hidden London events, um, my recommendation would be to join the uh, e-newsletter that we have off the London Transport Museum's website because people that subscribe to the e-newsletter get a heads up before any tickets are going on sale or any kind of event or anything like that. So it's a, it's a really good way of um, getting notified. So that is how you find us. Super. And if people want to catch the TV series? So currently, um, I'm not sure on what days it's being rerun. I know. Um, do you? <clears throat> I do. Oh, God. Yeah. When is it being rerun, I, I, I can do the plug for you if you like. <laughs> I, I really don't mind. So hold on. Here we go. I'll, I'll use my, my plug voice. <clears throat> oh, do it for me, yeah. Secrets of the London Underground is now available on the Yesterday channel on Sundays at 6 p.m. And you can catch up on UK TV Play. Oh, that's why he's the host, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's that's what I'm here that's for. That's what he's here for. Thanks, City. You've been absolutely brilliant to talk to, and uh, and I, I think I need to find an excuse to go and explore some stations in London. I think you do too. And thanks so much for having me. This has been such good fun. And, you know, we all need to explore a little bit more about our cities, don't we? If you're enjoying this series, please let us know via wearerailfans.com or use the We Are Railfans Facebook page. And don't forget to give this podcast a follow on your platform of choice. That way, you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back with a new podcast exploring another area of the rail hobby as soon as the signal changes. This has been a Listen production. Thanks for travelling with us today, and if you wouldn't mind, please ensure you have all your belongings with you before you leave the show. And we'll catch you next time. Listener.